All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to the Misfit Nation. Last episode, we got to hear from Kara Ochterberger and her amazing work in raising awareness for the treatment of dogs in shelters in the southeast region of the United States, along with her fostering story. Thanks again for being on, and we look forward to hearing how many more dogs you rescue in the future. In this episode, we have Andrine Lowe, or Andy as her cozy mystery readers know her. She has a love of writing instilled in her by her mother, although if her mom was still alive, she'd be smacking Andrine across the back of the head, given the direction some of her writing is taken. Irreverent, cutting, and reflecting her background as a stand-up comic, it's edgy with humor that can be very dark in places. She also enjoys a good bit of snark. Andrine lives in beautiful Hawke's Bay region of New Zealand with Mia, a tabby, so keen on local bird life. She's going the right way to end up decked out in enough bells to be mistaken for a furry little Morris dancer. So without further ado, let's get Andrine Lowe on the show. All right, let's welcome to the show Andrine Lowe, or Andia has her cozy mystery readers know her, an author from Hawks, the Hawks Bay region of New Zealand. So welcome to the show, Andrine. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me. It's uh, my privilege to have you on here. It's always good to have other artists come on and tell us a little bit about their story and what they're working on and basically where they've come from and where they see themselves in the future. Oh, it's, it's, and it's great to have that opportunity to share that with people as well because so often it's hard to get that message out there. Yes, it is. And that's kind of why I started this whole this whole venture of mine. One, just to, to hear myself talk every once in a while, I guess, and uh, – Two, to hear other people's stories, because I feel, find listening to other people's stories is amazing. It is. It can, it can be inspirational. It can be um, letting you know that you're on the right path or not the right path. Uh, yeah, it's. I like hearing these everyday stories. Yes. So if you don't mind, if you'd like to tell a little bit about of your story from as far back as you want to go up until now. Okay, well, look, I won't go back to um, to daycare or anything like that, or I did have one horrendous situation there, but we won't go into that. Um, so like most New Zealanders, uh, I went on what we call our big OE when I was in my early 20s, and OE stands for Overseas Experience, where uh, it was a rite of passage. It still is, although obviously uh, curtailed with COVID. Uh, it was one that saw me heading off overseas for several years and living in London and going around Europe on a bus tour, uh, which obviously involved drinking too much and basically behaving in a way that your parents wouldn't approve of. <laughs> and, of course, back then it was before social media, so the chances of being caught out were pretty slim to non-existent. And when I came back from that, I was away for four years. Uh, I stumbled into a career in advertising uh, it was one that nearly killed me, thanks to the stress and the hours. Uh, it wasn't what I planned for myself, but then I was one of those people that didn't really plan a lot at all. Um, there were parts of advertising that I loved. Um, they threw amazing parties. And parts that I, I've got to admit that I hated, mostly the crazy deadlines I had foisted on me by others who weren't as organised. Um, these days, life's a lot quieter. I moved from Auckland City to be close to family in Napier and while it's also on the North Island of New Zealand it's a million miles away from Auckland City um, as regards stress, traffic, crazy house prices 
and things like that. And it's a move that's also allowed me to devote more time uh, to my writing, which is something I love. Nice. Does the, uh, the area give you more inspiration there? Oh, it's a, it's a stunning area. I must admit, I, I catch up once a week with a friend for a walk because we're training for 10K. Uh, I won't say we're running it. We're walking it, but, you know, baby steps. Um, yeah. And we catch up once a week at about quarter to eight in the morning and just watching the sun coming up because obviously now we're getting into shorter days. But it's just stunning. It, um, it definitely inspires. It, but I think it clears your mind. You're, you're not full of the rush of the city which can be overpowering and can can stifle the creativity because you're just dealing with day-to-day -day life and, and busy busy every day so it kind of messes up your brain a little bit it totally does it's and it, you know it's um if you're working well i, I was working 12-hour days in advertising so that doesn't leave much for anything. You know, I used to get home from work and I'd be, my brain would be absolutely fried. Right. So you're basically just living to work and not working to have a good life. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we, we talk about the work-life balance, but it's actually, when you're on the treadmill, it's very, very hard to break out of that. Yes. You know? Yeah. I, I had to move cities to do it. It was, um, there was no way it was going to happen if I'd stayed in Auckland. No way. Yeah, I grew up in grew up in the city life in uh, New Jersey, right across from New York City. So I, I know exactly what city life is. And now yeah. where I live, it's rural. It's it. They call it a city, but it's it's country. It's it's slower, and it's it's much better here for creativity. I, I figure anywhere you can do a U turn in, in a fairly main street, you're you're living the life. Yes. <laughs> without, without being T-boned. <laughs> That's what I was just about to say, without the fear of getting crushed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when I, when I first moved down here, I used to arrive everywhere 20 minutes early because I was allowing for traffic. <laughs> <laughs> and people are probably looking at you crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why is she sitting in a car out there? <laughs> Forever. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So no, it's it's been a great move for me. It really has. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, how long did you perform stand-up comedy? Um, I was on the professional circuit for three years, and I only gave up when my mum passed away, and I really wasn't feeling funny. Um, again, that was something I stumbled into. I um I took a presentation skills course for advertising. And I did my, I wrote my graduation speech on breeding before 40 uh, and the pressure it put on women to do so. And uh, it garnered enough laughs that I was uh, strong armed by my colleagues into taking part at a rookies night at a uh, local stand up comedy club. And I must have been okay because they kept inviting me back. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so th three years. That's, that's pretty cool. And a, a great way to stumble into it, though, and kind of get, <laughs> kind of get peer pressured yeah. into it. <laughs> it was, it really was, and uh, yeah, it was. Um, it was one of those things that my um, one of my workmates said, "Well, I'll do it if you do it," and he expected <laughs> me to back down, and I expected him to back down. So we both ended up taking part, but I kept going, and he he basically did the rookies night and then bailed. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Did he ever he, come back? He should have known how stubborn I could be. <laughs> <laughs> Did he ever come back and watch you perform again? 
Oh, he did. He did. Yeah, yeah. There was. I got great support from from the work crew, and uh, and once you were in in the um, the stand up crowd, you just got to know them. They were like family, you know, because everybody would be freaking out backstage. So you know, you got that great support network going just with the other performers. That, that's awesome. Did uh, any uh, audience members ever give you a hard time when you were up there? Uh, when you're Stand-up covers things like testicular implants. It's a brave person that heckles you. Oh, yeah, I bet it does. Yeah. <laughs> a very brave person. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. I, I don't think I ever got I, – no, I never got heckled. Um, yeah, no, I didn't. I was, I was very fortunate like that. But um, I think New Zealand audiences, by and large, are – reasonably polite compared to other countries like I think if I I think if I'd done stand-up in somewhere like Scotland absolutely I would have been heckled because that's that's almost a national pastime over there oh yes it is here too yeah yeah absolutely so you know I think I think it depends where you're performing as to as to how much of a, a hard time you get but yes certainly um your subject matter has a has a bearing on that as well so if you, if you go into uh if you cover off things like politics and certain other areas, then yeah, no, expect to get heckled. You'd be hitting people's feelings that way, based on which oh. way they lean. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, you press their buttons, and and um, even if they're the sort that would normally not heckle somebody, they'll they'll they won't be able to stop themselves. That's why I so, see yeah. on your website that you uh, got your inspiration to write from your mom. How long have you been a writer? And uh, I guess since she was your inspiration, uh, did she lead you to the path? Uh, I, I've been writing for really as long as I can remember. Um, probably my earliest memory of getting some critical acclaim, I guess you'd call it, was when I was about nine years old and we did an essay in English class and it was on the Welsh mining disaster at Aberfan where the, um, the colliery pit collapsed on the primary school and it killed over, over, it was about 116 kids and about 10, 15 adults, their teachers. It just basically buried the whole primary school. Mm. And we had to write an essay on that. And it was, yeah, it was, it stayed strongly with me because I, I put a lot of hours into it and I got an A on it, which was quite unusual, <laughs> well, quite unusual for me at that time. Um, and I guess because I wrote it from the point of view of one of the kids, it was a little bit traumatic for a nine-year-old. Um, I'm not quite sure what the teacher was thinking of, but obviously it worked. Um, but definitely um, the time I spent writing my own material for stand-up, uh, that was what led me to fiction. Because after I gave up performing because of mum passing away, um, I, I still wanted to write, and so fiction seemed to be the, the, you know, the most logical thing to do it. And I started to write it about my big OE, and it didn't take me long to realise that what had been exciting for a 20-something was extremely boring to read. Um, and so that then became a true work of fiction. Obviously, there are, there are moments of truth within that story, but uh, that's, that's my uh, Friday Night Fever. Um, <laughs> Chicklet story. So, you know, because it was it was based in the disco era, and yeah, it was you know it was a fun time. It's one of the craziest decades we've had because it was 
it was between, you know, after the 60s, all the work had been done by the women's lib. And so we were, you know, women were finding their way in the world and getting freedoms, which are now being taken away from us again. But yeah, it was um, definitely, you know, yeah, mum just, like, she read to us when we were little. Um, I remember getting an encyclopedia, not an encyclopedia, a dictionary, an illustrated dictionary for one birthday. And I loved it. And I've still got it. Um, and I actually used to read it. So she definitely gave me the love of words. That's so, awesome. Yeah. I was going to ask you about the, the 70s disco series there, but you said he just made a, it, it really cleared me what it was. That's so good. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely. It was Melbourne, when they had dance floors. Uh, and at that time, well, they had one of the largest Greek communities in the world, like even bigger than Greece, um, mm. because they they had a lot of assisted passage out there, and there was that. But backwards and coming forwards and putting on the silk shirt open to their waist and the gold chains and the, the flares and you know it was it was that whole. You, you, you kind of watch um, Saturday Night Fever and you think, oh, yeah, it wasn't really like that. It was. Yes. <laughs> you know, it really was. And it's like people look at it and think, oh, that's just a bit made up. But, no, I, I can remember scenes exactly like that with the dry ice and the strobe lights and the flashing dance floor and, yeah, pile of handbags on the court you all dancing around. Those big heel shoes for men, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I can I can remember my brother wearing platforms and velvet flares. Like he, he was made to put wear those now. But yep, he wore them. <laughs> you can still bring the pictures out at family meetings, family gatherings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'll scan it in so it can go online and and uh, show it to a wider audience. <laughs> yeah. Let that be his memory every year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, birthday anniversary. Do you remember? Do you remember when? <laughs> and just put a smiley face next to it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So you do have a wide variety of genres that you write in. Does it get harder to write differently as you go as you get going? I I don't believe it does. It's um. There's certainly this crossover between the cozy mystery and the um the humorous woman's fiction chiclet. Uh, definitely a crossover there because obviously it's both to a female audience. But um, once I start, the characters, they are who they are. So um, I think it actually gets easier to swap between the genres once, you, once you're underway. Um, it was interesting. I just um, published a cosy mystery called Dead and Married, which is a romantic vampire cosy mystery and possibly the start of a new series. And I was interested how different that main character was to write because she was very much more buttoned down than my other cosy mystery series, which is a, um, a jinxed witch with Bruce Lee moves, who comes from a rough background. Um, yeah, and it was interesting writing that. And then when I've just started back on the ninth and what I think will be the final of the uh, Marina Mysteries, Marina Witches Mysteries, um it felt like joining old friends again and it was it was it just fell into place the voice that i could hear in my head was was purely frankie and dex her snarky jack russell you know they the, the words just 
I hear them in my head and I type them. Um, but then you've got uh, my recent foray into a supernatural thriller. And that was first person from the point of view of a 40-something woman who was overweight and dealing with not a very nice life, and um, which got a lot worse, actually. And, yeah, it was like, and I managed to get comedy into that as well because I actually think that um, when you're dealing with horrific subjects like the dark web and torture, if you can get a few laughs in there, then uh, it helps It helps people cope with it. It certainly helped me cope with it. Yeah. And that, yeah. That it, keeps, it keeps people dialed into the, to the story as well as you break up the, the horrific or graphic nature of it with, with some humor. It kind of brings yeah. them back to the page. Well, you've you've only got to see in in life how quickly when when we have a disaster, how quickly uh, the humour comes out because it's a coping mechanism. Yes. Um, you know, it's like it's uh, you always see those people to pull those jokes and they go too soon, and it's just like yeah, maybe. Um, you know, after after something horrific has happened, and then you'll you'll. Yeah, people will be making jokes about it because it is. It's how humans, it's how we cope. It's, uh, you've only got to see how much laughter there is at funerals. Right. And like when yeah, my, mom, my mom passed a couple of years ago now and she didn't want a funeral at all because she didn't like the, the sadness of them. Yeah. Or I guess the, the money that went into them either. But so, so she basically just wanted us to sit down and do what we always did, just drink beers and have a good time. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it is. And it's like, that's that's as much, I think I prefer the celebration of life rather than, the, you know, just focusing on the, on the negative of the whole thing. It's just like, because we all have to go sometime. Right. Like my, my dad told me, we all, we all have an appointment. You just got to be ready when it happens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Although, I because you don't have to prepare for it, do you really need to be ready? <laughs> Either you are or you're not at that point. <laughs> exactly. It's just like, okay, time's up. All right, I just won the lottery. It's time to go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so yeah. But um, I don't know that I'll be able to write two, two genres concurrently. I do tend to write them. Uh, I'll focus on one and then I'll move on to the next one. I know people who do write they'll write a couple of books at a time, but I, I just get so into the characters that I don't know that I could do that. Well, I think, I think for some, they have that, that thing where they have to maintain many things at one time and others like you who want to make sure one is awesome and get that complete, then move on to the other. And both, both methods work for each person. So oh, just, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's like some people like plotting to the nth degree. Others are pantsers. I'm probably somewhere in the middle. I do plot, but only in very general terms. And usually the characters will take me off on a tangent at least one or two times along the way. And I used to try and corral them back um, under control, and now I've found that they know what they're doing most of the time. And it, it's fascinating the number of times something will happen. They'll say something in the first couple of chapters, and you go, oh, that's weird. And you'll just leave it there and uh, the first draft, and then you'll get through to about chapter 28, and the reason they said it becomes perfectly apparent. And it's it's always this like, oh, wow, that's that's quite amazing. Yes. 
So, so yeah, I, it shows you what a complex thing the brain is. Um, oh yeah, that it, you know it links all these things up. It, it truly is quite incredible. And then people wonder why they get tired halfway through a day because their brain is doing so much work. Yeah, yeah. Although I'm reading that, I'm um, reading the body by Bill Bryson at the moment, and they they say that um, the most efficient brains are the ones that try the least. Oh. That just simply solve a problem and then move on, and then go and kind of back into a standby mode. It's yeah, it's, it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. Okay, the whole science of the the brain is fascinating to me, and how oh, the, uh, how they yeah. treat it now. It's amazing. Well, the plasticity thing, you know, where it says if you get into if you get onto somebody soon after they've had a stroke, uh, you've got greater uh, chances of lessening the long-term impact of it because you can rewire the brain quite quickly but yeah it's it's still pardon the pun a gray area really right yes definitely is a gray area <laughs> yeah yeah so we've already mentioned your your mom is an influence for you to write who has been your top three mentors and what was the best advice that they provided you along the way okay um in no particular order, I would have to, I would have to put Mum in there because corny as it sounds, she was widely read, uh, had a spectacular grasp of the English language, and was killer at punctuation. Uh, I've still got that dictionary she gave me. Um, yeah, so definitely, um, and she was always of the opinion that as long as you do your best, uh, then that that was good enough for her, as long as there was no slacking. Uh, second, as I had a, um, I did a six month. Uh, creative writing course and I had a mentor uh, assigned to me, a lady called Lee Wood who, who'd been a uh, New York Times bestseller with I guess you'd call it science fiction and she was amazing, I always um, yeah she, she was rough on her feedback sometimes but when she told you something it did stick for that very reason um, and, and she again, she, she was a master of actually the structure of the story, keeping to the point of view, you know, showing, not telling. Um, the best advice I got from her was to put more in because uh, when I was working with her, I'd just come from that background of stand-up where everything had to be pared down because by and large you were dealing with drunk people whose attention span was like that of a goldfish. Um, <laughs> So, so, you know, I was used to absolutely taking everything out except the absolute bare bones, which, of course, you don't do with fiction. And then third would have to be uh, Jane Southern. She was an editor that was allocated to me when I was first published back in 2014. And we've stayed in touch ever since. She's, she has a mind like a steel trap. She, again, has an amazing grasp of grammar that would give mum a run for her money. And she gets my sixth sense of humour. Um, it was for this reason I, I worked with her on Diet Veil because that is very sick in places. Um, and again, she's a great proponent of Show Don't Tell, which, you know, really puts the um, the reader in, in the middle of the story rather than just telling them what's happening. So, yeah, I'm sure there are many others and I've got some great critique partners. Um but, yeah, they, they would be the three main mentors at this point in time. I think you pick them up as you go along, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, everywhere. If you're not having mentors throughout your journey, you're pretty much still 
studying studying into a stalemate or, or I guess it would be the best way to yeah. get that. Yeah. It takes the village to keep us moving and identifying those who are smart enough and strong enough to push you forward always are the best best people to have around. Yeah, absolutely. And and with being an author these days, it's not just about the writing. It's actually the marketing is as big as anything, which suddenly brings in another complete group of mentors, you know, as to how to get out there because even though it's pay, you know, pay to play these days with the likes of Amazon advertising, Facebook, you know, book bub ads, all of that, um, there are definitely there's still organic reach which you know, obviously you get best, better bang for your buck that way. But, uh, yeah, it's certainly not the simple, straightforward, uh, you know, sit in the corner and write that it used to be. That's, yeah, definitely definitely changed. And that even goes for traditionally published authors because these days the, the publishers will spend about two weeks going rah, 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 and then the author's on their own anyway. So... Yeah. You know, it's it's certainly, I, th I think it's different if you're a Lee Child or, or Marion Keys. If you're one of those sort of authors, then absolutely you, they, they'll continue to look after you because they make big bucks out of you. But as far as the mid-list goes, yeah, certainly they don't get the support that they used to. Right. So you said you got first published in 2014. Was that uh, by a bigger organization or was that self-publishing? That was a boutique publisher in the States uh, called Rebel. And they were great and, you know, they took care of the cover design for me and so I didn't have to pay for any of that. And it was brilliant for my first foray into, into um, writing. Um, but since then I've gone with even smaller publishers. I'm currently with Scobbing Sparrows Press um, and that's a boutique New Zealand publisher that focuses on the international market as much as the local market. Um, and I really like working that way because it leaves you more in control of of your career than just handing everything over to one of the big five. That, that's true. Um, yeah. My daughter, she got she got published right out of high school. Just I guess lucky. Uh, she got published. Yeah. Uh, she wrote a book during her junior year, and while well, she should have been studying, but she was doing that in class. But. <laughs> She did it, and once I seen it, uh, I said, let's try to get this thing published, and it, and it happened. So I had just got out of the Army at that time, and it was a, a chance for us to actually get to know each other. Again, I missed a lot of her life since I was gone. So yeah. I got to go on a little book tours with her in the signing, so I thought it was an amazing time for us. And then she went to college to become a writer, so she became a, a critic of her own herself, so she's really hard on herself now. And her next book is taking forever because she's so hard on herself. Yeah, you got to be got to be a wee bit careful about that. Um, yeah, it's um, if you're constantly critiquing and constantly editing, you don't have, you know, you, you just never finish. Right. <laughs> you know, you you just don't. Um, you know, if I was going to give advice to anybody, I'd say finish that first rough draft. It doesn't matter how rough it is, because at least then you've got something to edit. Um, but you hear about people, oh, no, I go back through every chapter the next day and the next day and the next day. And it's, you know, yeah, they just never finish. Right. And that's what I've been trying to tell her. I said, you get it out there, then it'll be a piece of work and you go to the next one and make that one better, make the next one better. Yeah. Was, no, nobody was... writes War and Peace the first time out. They just don't. Right. <laughs> I don't know if that was his debut novel, novel or not. 
No, I don't think it was. Hers, so, was, yeah. hers was basically a, a short novel, only a thing less than two hundred pages, so, but it 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 got some got some gener generated some publicity and then kind of just waned off towards the end. But it, it was enough for her to get that push and get her going that way. The yeah. university the university filled her head with how to critique, and that's that's where she is now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it is interesting. Um, I think sometimes the formal education side of things can can interfere with the storytelling. Oh yeah, <laughs> you, you know what I mean. Just, just telling a jolly good yarn. That you, you know, there's definitely. Um, I've read about a few, especially sci-fi authors, where they, you know, they they quite openly say, "Hey, my grammar's not that great," and I get some people, you know, complaining about that. But I sell a lot of books, and I get repeat sales, and I'm making a living out of it. You know, so because they tell a good story. Right, and, and that's that's what it's about telling the story. And I think, like uh, we just alluded to, once they get once you get to the formal education, it kind of takes away some of that creativity, where yes. you actually have yeah. your own mind saying things. Now you're thinking, if I say this, it has to be this way. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, we like in New Zealand, um, and I'll probably get shot for this, but. <laughs> literary is is king over here um and yet there are a lot of amazing genre authors in in new zealand who sell incredibly well worldwide who are on bestseller lists and making a truckload of money and yet locally they get hardly a look in because it's not literary fiction which is oh, to me really sad because and that's not to say anything against literary fiction it, but to me it's just one kind of fiction it's um it shouldn't be the be all and end all you you know, it's um, because again, that's that's it's too highbrow for some people. It's um, they find it difficult to understand. And they, you know, I I know when I was working twelve-hour days in advertising, when I got home, I didn't want to read anything too taxing. I wanted to read something that was going to slow my brain down enough that I could actually sleep. Right, relax, relax yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you know, you'd get home and you, your brain would be just fried. And I, I could get home at ten o'clock at night, and it would be four o'clock before I could get to sleep, and then I'd be up again at seven, and yeah. back into it again. And it was just, yeah, I, I wanted something just light and that I could read about three or four chapters, and it would slow my brain down, and then I'd go to sleep. So yeah, so that's that's why I like the lighter stuff. To be honest, and that's why I like writing it. Well, hopefully, uh, once you you come on my show here, and it gets once I publish it, I get some New Zealand listeners, and they don't get angry with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think I've said anything bad about about literary fiction because we have got some amazing um, literary fiction writers in, in New Zealand, you know, and yeah, of, of world class as well. But yeah, I think they need to remember that it's not the only kind of fiction. But definitely, yeah. A lot of people get they get that thought in their head. It has to be that way, and that, I guess that's how it is. Yeah. Here, yeah. when there's so many better way, other people that are out there writing their way, and it's a good way to write, and it keeps people entertained, even if it's oh, only absolutely. one. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. and especially when you know they're trying to get young boys to read. <laughs> if you know anything too highbrow, then you know, yeah, that's not going to help. 
and most of them will fall asleep reading a, a proper book. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like I, I'm I'm quite happy if they read comic books as long as they're reading. Yes. <laughs> read all the words, not the pictures. Yeah, well, even the pictures, it's to, they help tell the story. So yeah. <laughs> Well, you already said some of the advice you'd give to a, a budding author. Do you have any other advice you'd give them besides to finish their work? Uh, I, <clears throat> excuse me. I definitely think that it's worthwhile getting a grasp of the basics. Um, and, you know, you, you don't have to go uh, back to university or anything to do that. There's a lot of online courses that are available out there. Um, which can tell you the you know about basic structure and how to how to write the plot you know set a plot and things like that. Uh, I think that the one thing I would say about that though is to be very careful about who you're signing up with because there's a lot of great self promoters out there. But when you you know when you actually look at their own fiction titles, they're not ranking well. They haven't sold a lot of books and they haven't got a lot of reviews now. You know, it's that's something to absolutely see if they can walk the talk. Definitely, definitely check that out. And and there's been a lot of talk recently about um, people promoting courses, and it's not because they're good; it's because they're getting a huge kickback. And there's been quite a lot of um, talk on various uh, Facebook pages about that recently, just saying be careful going into these courses because. The reason it's being promoted might be because the person who's saying, hey, this is a great course, is actually getting a good kickback. Yes. <laughs> and I've been on Facebook and I've been contacted since my podcast has started to go to speaking classes with these experts. So I did the same thing. I just looked into them to see what they're about and they're just about the money. That's all they're about. Yeah, yeah, and, absolutely. And, and, and it's like if you actually, you know, it's just like, how to how to gain X number of followers and, you know, how to market your book and everything like that. And then you actually have a look at their fiction titles on Amazon and they've got about four reviews and they, they're ranked in the millions sort of thing. And it's just like, well, are you really going to be able to tell me more than I, I already know? Because I'm ranking better than you are um, and I've got more stars. So, yeah. Definitely, definitely go into it with your eyes wide open um, before just signing up willy-nilly to anything and everything. Yes. And, and again, you know, there's these people who are course junkies and never finish a book. Right, yes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's um, definitely there's the, the bum on seat, pardon the, the language, but that's definitely something that you can't replace with any amount of courses. It's just... A, the words down on the paper then you can at least then you can work with an editor you know and it's um again go for peer reviews on the editor of your genre um because again not all editors are created equal so yeah so that exactly. i think that was all my advice it's probably a lot more that i could wax lyrical about but uh yeah th those are the main points i would say i think that's great advice and i hope the hopefully listeners will take it and take heed to that advice and put that in their toolbox as they move forward with their production of a book or publication of a book, I should say. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and and I think, I think the um, check out the credentials, as you were saying, that that goes for anything as far as online training. There's a lot of people out there at the moment offering, in some cases, very expensive courses. And when 
you actually look at it, it's not great value for money. So, you know, that can be, that can be anything. That can be, as you're saying, speaking courses and things like that. That's, uh, yes, cautionary tale. Yes, very cautionary. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Andrina, it's been great talking to you, great having you on here. Uh, if someone would want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you to maybe – uh, learn about your methods of writing or anything about you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, best way is via my website, andreenlowauthor.com. So that's A-N-D-R-E-N-E, low, L-O-W, author.com. So no full stops in there. Uh, and there's a contact um, contact form on there, and you can sign up for my newsletter. I only send out probably two a month because – a, I think people get a little bit tired of receiving newsletters every week. I know I do. And uh, I just don't want to bombard my, my readers. So, yeah, so about twice a month I'll send something out. And there'll usually be promos from other other, author, or other authors in there, uh, any book funnels I'm taking part of and, and where I'm up to with my, my own writing. So, yeah, that's, awesome. that's the best way. Hmm. Outstanding. And... Uh... Again, thanks for taking some of your time to come on here. And I look forward to hearing more about what your works are in the future. Oh, you are more than welcome. It's been a fun interview. Thanks. Okay, you too. Yeah. That was great chatting with Andrine Lowe about her life as an author, her time as a stand-up comic, and her sharing advice with us on how to get into writing. Thanks again for being on, and look forward to hearing from you again in the future. All right, y'all, you know how we do this. Thanks for taking some of your time to spend with us on The Misfit Nation. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and share that link as much as possible. We appreciate you. As always, till the next time, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling, because we are The Misfit Nation.